You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hi, everyone. This is Mark Goddard from Lost in Space. Remember me? Don West. I want to say hi to you all and stay tuned to Flopcast. Live from Chicken Town. This is the Flopcast episode 609. On Flopcast.net. Yes, yes, hello, Cornflake. Hi. Look, Cornflake's back. We missed you uh, during the holidays and during uh, Memorial Show Part 1. I missed you. I missed out on our salute to Cindy Williams, Harry Belafonte, (laughs) and Tina Turner, but I am so glad that you and the mayor sent them out in style. We tried to take care of them in your absence, and you're here. You're back on board for Memorial Show Part 2, and also back on board is the mayor of Chicken Town. Yes, uh, good to see or talk to you again, Cornflake. Hi. Everybody's here. This is more like it. (laughs) Let's go. Uh, We're going to get into the second half of the year memorial stuff real soon. But Cornflake, do you have a national whatever day? I have a national whatever day, Kevin, and I have one that we absolutely cannot afford to miss. January 8th is Snuggle a Chicken Day. Oh, weird. You know, for most people, chickens are pretty misunderstood and underappreciated, but not here, not on the Flopcast. Are there chickens crawling all over you right now? Yeah, they do that every show. Did you not realize that? I just assumed. (laughs) All right, so you're doing it right then. January 8th, everybody grab a chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Be gentle, though. (laughs) Gently snuggle a chicken. Yeah, this time of year it's cold, so the chickens get a little extra warmth. It's a three-chicken night. (laughs) Yes. That would have been a better name for that band. Let's move on. we got a long way to go tonight. This is the Memorial Show Part 2, so we're going to look back on everybody that we lost uh, in the past year from the world of pop culture and such. And yeah, we got started last week. We did January through June. Going to bring it on home today, uh, July through December. Uh, We have beverages. Do you have beverages? Yes. You betcha. (laughs) I got coffee. I have a, a, a new-to-me brand of cider. It's called Feels Like Home. All right. I've upgraded. Yeah, I was uh, kicking it with the candy canes last time we talked, and now I am on the peppermint moonshine. All right. It sounds like I'm the big loser tonight in the beverage department. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see by the end of the show who's still hanging on. <laughs> my cup of coffee. So the idea with uh, beverages is uh, as we go through the names on this list, if we reach a name of somebody that we ever saw live in person, or especially if we ever got to meet them, we shall uh, take a shot, take a drink, take a pathetic sip of coffee <laughs> in their honor. That's the plan. We try to keep it light. This is not going to be a sad show. This is going to be, let's remember these people and all the fun we had with whatever they did. That's the idea. You know, we do this every year. We did this last week. (laughs) Yeah, I hope that there are Muppets involved this week as well. Oh, are you actually wishing for dead Muppets this year? (laughs) No, no, no. I was wishing that... Wishing that some of the people had worked with the Muppets so that, you know, I got really into the deep dive into Harry Belafonte's performance on The Muppet Show. So oh, that's to, right. Yes. To have some more Muppet celebration. Okay. Well, I do have a puppet for you right now. This is actually from the very end of June, but this is a name that we missed last week. So to backtrack a bit, we want to recognize Al Rosenberg was 78. Uh, Al worked on the Howard Stern show, a uh, radio mm-hmm. show back in the 80s, maybe into the 90s a little bit. But he, he was a, a voice guy and, and a writer, funny guy around uh, radio. And uh, take a drink because I met Al Rosenberg when he was a puppet. This was the guy controlling <laughs> Bob the Puppet on the FX morning series Breakfast Time. <gasps> oh. oh, Now it all makes sense. He's practically a Muppet. Remember that? 
that goofy TV show that I did. Yeah. Back in the 90s. I, I, we, we talked about this on the show. Yeah, I was a guest on Breakfast Time, a really goofy TV show that Tom Bergeron hosted back in the <laughs> 90s. And yeah, one of the co-hosts was a puppet, <laughs> Bob the Puppet, who was actually this guy, Al Rosenberg. Yeah, and he was very Muppet-like in appearance. Yeah, kind of a big, fuzzy, orange, goofy-looking puppet. Yes. Which the first time I was on the show, I actually, because I was there to do a pumpkin carving demonstration, and I carved a pumpkin to look like Bob the Puppet. And then the second time I was on the show, their, their Thanksgiving show, when it was all over, we were out on the street in New York, and everybody was trying to get back inside the building because we were freezing, and I just kind of shoved into an elevator. Oh, and yeah. I was somehow shoved onto like the A-list elevator. I looked around. I was on the elevator with Tom Bergeron and uh, Laurie, the co-host and the producer of the show and Al Rosenberg. He's standing there in the elevator with the puppet hanging off his arm. (laughs) And he was like, hi, I'm Al. I'm the, I'm the puppet. Oh, that's, yeah, that's kind of a behind the scenes uh, moment. Yeah. So yeah, I met him uh, while riding up in an elevator in New York. (laughs) <laughs> seemed like a good guy and a funny guy. He did a, did a great job as a puppet <laughs> on breakfast time. That's Al Rosenberg. Jimmy Weldon was 99. This was a cartoon voice guy also and did a lot of work for Hanna-Barbera, especially uh, for us, though, uh, my favorite credit for Jimmy on Super Friends, on Challenge of the Super Friends with the Legion of Doom. Yeah. Jimmy Weldon was the voice of Solomon Grundy. Oh, oh yeah. We, we really, we like Solomon Grundy around here and he comes up surprisingly often. Well, I like that. They did such a great job with the voices on Super Friends. You know, Super Friends was not always the best looking cartoon, but right. the, the voice talent was always on point. And I loved how Solomon Grundy had a Southern accent. Oh, yeah. He kind of had a Louisiana drawl. Yeah thought that was a, a, a nice choice for <laughs> sure for jimmy weldon's rendition of a giant swamp monster <laughs> solomon grundy <laughs> one of our favorites carolyn glenn was 83 and i wanted to mention carolyn because last week uh, during memorial show part one we mentioned carol cook who played the grandmother in 16 candles right carolyn glenn was the mother in Sixteen Candles. Molly Ringwald's mom. Yeah, Molly's mother. That was Carolyn Glynn. Uh, Tony Bennett. Yeah, big one. Tony Bennett, 96. Was still in strong voice, you know, very recently, just a couple years back. I used to like seeing him on Conan O'Brien every year. They'd bring him on the Conan show to do a Christmas song. Was he ever on The Muppet Show? Probably. (laughs) (laughs) let's assume he worked with a lot of muppets inga swenson favorite of ours inga was 90 we are huge fans of benson the old benson sitcom around here inga was kraus ms kraus gretchen the german cook had a very (laughs) strong personality (laughs) yes she was kind of one of one of benson's perpetual uh, antagonist, the, the the other one being Clayton. Uh, Inga was American, uh, despite mm-hmm. always putting on the, the German accent. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> she was from Nebraska. <laughs> she was so funny. Uh, yeah, and, and she, had a that was long, a, long career. Yeah, it's one of those one of those actors where okay, we know her from her seven years or whatever it was on Benson, uh, but she, man, she did a lot, and she was great. Yes, not many left in the Benson cast. That's. That's <laughs> that's true. We got Dee Dee Cohn. We got Ethan Phillips. There's a few of them hanging around, thankfully. Missy Gold. Missy. Oh yeah, Missy Gold. Of course. <laughs> My apologies to Miss Gold. Is very much alive, of course. Uh, Randy Meisner was 77. Uh, one of the founding members of the Eagles, and was around for the first several Eagles records. Uh, Take it to the limit was his song. Mm. Uh, was in Poco also. And and had a big hit song of, of his own after leaving the Eagles uh, that I remember deep inside my heart from the early '80s, which was a duet with uh, Kim Carnes. Oh yeah, Kim Carnes was was did a lot of duet business. No escaping Kim Carnes yeah. in the early <laughs> '80s, of course. Sinead, yeah, mm. Sinead O'Connor, only fifty-six. Yeah, that was a sad one. I remember when I don't know what I haven't got. The album came out. I remember her being on SNL and not being asked back <laughs> for reasons. And, you know, 
we got to give it to Sinead. Sinead was right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a hard time yes. she had and uh, showing up at concerts after that and being booed. And, and uh, uh, Sinead was right. She was yeah. not always right about everything. She was a very complicated person, of course, remarkable mm-hmm. artist, but, but also a very troubled woman. But that night on SNL... <laughs> I say, Sinead was right. Yeah. Let's give her that. And I loved her voice. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful voice. Sinead. Uh, yikes, we're jumping right to another uh, real kind of a heartbreaker. How about Paul Rubens was 70? Oh, yeah. Did not see this one coming. Uh, Paul, this is somebody that we were supposed to see. <laughs> oh, yeah, we can't take a drink. Uh, pandemic year one. <laughs> the, year <laughs> yeah. t- the year 2020, Paul Rubens was touring with the movie he was going to theaters and they'd there'd be a screening of peewee's big adventure and then paul was there to uh, talk with the audience and do q a and he was coming to boston and we had tickets mm. we were gonna go see paul rubens present peewee's big adventure and then of course that that got scrapped yeah missed our chance to see him in person but look at all he gave us <laughs> yeah by all accounts he was just the the sweetest kindest person and everyone who knew him loved him yeah, he was prolific. I heard from several people just on podcasts and stuff. I know Conan O'Brien and several other people. If Paul Rubens had your phone number on your birthday, he would just turkst you. <laughs> he would just send, <laughs> send you like goofy cartoons and stuff all day on your birthday. Wow. Oh, so yeah, such a sweet guy by all accounts. And I mean, he goes back to uh, the Groundlings improv troupe in uh, California and that's where he got to know Phil Hartman and mm. John Paragon who played Jombie on Peavy's Playoffs and Cassandra Peterson, you know, Elvira they were all part of that team and the Groundlings back in the day and uh, was doing some movies a little tiny part in Blues Brothers uh, we, we saw him in Meatballs 2 yep, <laughs> the bus driver <laughs> I was reading up on him earlier I, I'd forgotten this little bit of trivia but uh, he auditioned to be on Saturday Night Live for that 1980-81 cast after the original cast left oh. uh, and lost the spot to Gilbert Gottfried oh, oh wow Yeah. <laughs> Which and Gilbert wasn't on that show very long <laughs> Gilbert was not there long that was a disastrous season <laughs> so, oh no <laughs> I feel like Paul Rubens kind of dodged the bullet. Bullet dodged by not getting on SNL. Or maybe he could have pulled. Maybe he could have could have saved it. I mean, <laughs> think about it, like Pee Wee Herman would have been a character on SNL. That's wild. Yeah. You know, Pee Wee Herman would have been like a Hans and Franz, a church lady, in all likelihood. Interesting. But look what happened instead. I'm you know? so yeah, glad we got Pee Wee's Playhouse instead. Yeah, I think he got the venue that he that he deserved. Those years in the mid to late '80s. That Pee Wee's Playhouse was on the air on Saturday mornings were magical. Absolutely. A uh, couple of later credits that I like to throw out was Batman Returns. He was the Penguin's father, the second uh, Tim Burton movie. You know, Tim Burton did the Pee Wee Herman movie, of course, but then used him mm-hmm. in Batman Returns, used him in Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. Paul Rubens was the voice of Locke, one of those three trick-or-treating kids. <laughs> Uh, he was in Mystery Men. You know, did a lot, of, a lot of fun movie parts <laughs> like that, and played the Penguin's father again on Gotham. Oh, many many years later. I didn't know that. So yikes! He did a lot. Uh, you know, one character he will be always remembered for. <laughs> but he wasn't just Pee Wee. But yikes! Pee Wee was a, a pretty remarkable achievement. So that is Paul Rubens. Uh, Mark Margolis was eighty three. And I know you didn't see Breaking Bad, but... I did. I did see Breaking Bad. Oh, you did. I assumed that was not a cornflake kind of show. It really wasn't, but it was so <laughs> well written. Now, the, the mayor, uh, you did not watch Breaking Bad, but you did watch uh, Better Call Saul. He was on both mm-hmm. series. This was Hector Salamanca. Hector. This was oh. the, the guy in the wheelchair ringing the bell. Yes. <laughs> yes, I saw him in Better Call Saul. He was more verbal Yes. Yes. for a while. Yes. <laughs> we saw the advent of the bell. Yeah, he was a he was a presence. So good on on both those shows. Yes, uh, in the nerd world, on the Constantine TV series, which did not last long, he did appear playing Felix Faust, a classic Justice League villain. He was in the movie Pie. Oh, okay. I do like Pie. <laughs> That's Mark Margolis, Johnny Hardwick. 
was 64, the big credit on Johnny Hardwick. We are fans of King of the Hill. This is the voice of Dale Gribble. Dale Gribble. Oh, And he was going to be coming back in the reboot on Hulu that's coming up. Dale was was one of the more interesting characters. (laughs) He was certainly a character. Robbie Robertson was 80. Yeah. You know, from the band. From the band, yes. The band. I don't know much about the band. You, you, you're more again. We, we lean on the mayor for the the classic rock type people. Yeah, those there are a couple of band albums that got heavy rotation at at my uh, my home, and of course, you know, Night They Dribble, Dixie Down, and The Wait. I know people rave about uh, the Last Waltz, the concert yeah. movie. I, I've never seen it. Yeah, it's supposed to be kind of one of the seminal concert films. Yeah. Uh, here's one that I know Cornflake wanted to make sure we did not miss. Uh, Ron Cephas Jones was 66. Yeah, we had a national whatever day celebration for the celebrity, maybe a year or two ago. He was on This Is Us, uh, and he was incredible on the show. My favorite episodes of This Is Us included Ron Cephas Jones, uh, the role earned him a Screen Actors Guild Award and a couple of Emmys, a quote that I think is an appropriate way to see him off. It is better to have loved and lost, surely, but try not to lose it all. Right. Now I know why that name sounded familiar. It's because of National Whatever Day. (laughs) Because I'm a huge fan. I did know that. Everybody can take a drink for uh, from the World Wrestling Federation. We've got one more wrestler. We did two or three of them last week. Yeah. One more this week. That is Terry Funk. Oh. Was 79. A longtime pro wrestler. Wrestled for... He was still wrestling just a few years ago. Like, <laughs> yeah, he just oh, would, not, would not quit. He was an old dude. Still would keep coming out of retirement again and again. Uh, Terry Funk, part of a big family of wrestlers. Uh, he, his brother was Dory Funk, and they would wrestle as a tag team often. And they were kind of like nasty, bad guy, Texas cowboy types with the hats and whatnot. He'd bring a branding <laughs> iron with him out to the wrestling ring. <laughs> That kind of thing. Yikes. Yeah. Would he pretend to brand people? Yes, he would. (laughs) He would pretend to brand people. (laughs) Can you make the sound effect? (laughs) People would know him from the Patrick Swayze movie Roadhouse also. He had a big part in Roadhouse. I had no idea. Which is a crazy movie. Yes, so I hear. (laughs) But that was Terry Funk, who I certainly did see uh, wrestle in person. Arlene Sorkin was 67, and Arlene's big credit is the original voice of Harley Quinn. Oh, on the Batman the Animated Series? Yeah, Batman the Animated Series. And Harley was actually uh, based on her. Uh, like oh, Paul yeah. Dini was friends with Arlene Sorkin and didn't just get her to do the voice, but kind of based the look and the uh, attitude of the character. Huh. <laughs> yeah, the bubbly personality and the accent straight out of Brooklyn. But yeah, people certainly took to the character right away. And the character has also certainly evolved. And look, now we've got, Mm -hmm. you know, whole Margot Robbie movies (laughs) about Harley these days. The the costume has changed quite a bit over the years, but still super popular character, certainly a super popular costume at all the conventions we go to. There's always a million Harley Quinn girls running around. Very true. And her own popular cartoon series too. Oh, the cartoon is so funny. It's sensational, that cartoon. All started with Eileen Sorkin. Bob Barker was 99. Wow. I was so hoping we were going to get to celebrate his 100th birthday as a national whatever day. But uh, some people take solace in the fact that he got all the way to 99 without hitting 100, like on the prize wheel. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't, he wasn't the, uh, the yodeling guy. <laughs> the yodeling guy lives on. Yodeling guy. So he... He just seemed to be someone who would be around forever. Well, yeah, one of those institutions of your childhood. Yeah, he didn't retire until he was 83 years old. Posted the prices right from 1972 to 2007. So that was like a 35-year run uh, just on that show. And, of course, he did, yeah. he did shows before that as well. And if you have Roku, 
there's a channel devoted to The Prices of Right that you can watch at any time of day. There's not a chance in the world I'm going to watch that. But I do like it. to know it's there. I, I watch it when I get sick. If I am home <laughs> sick, I will watch The Price is Right and eat saltines. Just like I did when I was a kid. You need something to put on when, when you're homesick. I used to watch the educational programs that were on PBS during the day. Those were also good. Just watch a lot of Slim Good Body and that would make you feel better? Yes. All right. Uh, Jimmy <laughs> Buffett. What do, does anyone have anything to say about Jimmy Buffett? Jimmy Buffett was 76. Uh, I used to love to limbo to his song, Volcano. Okay, I think you've mentioned that before. Yeah, you, I think you know more Buffett songs than I do. I know that song, and uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a friend who was a Parrothead, so... Oh, yeah. I, I, I've known several Buffett fans over the years. I, I never mm-hmm. got it. Seems like a nice guy. And, you know, he was out there having fun. People had fun. Yeah. That's fine. I have no problem with that. I just didn't get it. I was like, why would I want to go to that? <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Terry Kirkman was 83. Cornflake, I believe you are a fan of the association. Oh, yes. And Terry Kirkman was a founding member and he was one of the lead vocalists of the band. And what sounds more 60s than the association? They did some beautiful stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, that They had that folk rock sound with Along Comes Mary and Cherish and yep. Windy, which I think sounds a lot like Along Comes Mary. <laughs> but what was really fun was to watch them perform. They would act like robots on the stage <laughs> when, when being introduced. I, I'd seen old footage of them on the Smothers Brothers. But when I think of the association, what I think of most is the song Never My Love. Right. And there was a stint around the early 2000s when a much younger cornflake was having a terrible time in the dating world. And at one point, I just said, you know what? If somebody learns the song, Never My Love, and sings it to me, I will run off with them and marry them. No one ever did. (laughs) (laughs) So you listeners out there, keep that in mind. (laughs) The Never My Love ship has sailed. (laughs) Cornflake fans are frantically learning the song. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. So did they... Did they look like robots just because they didn't really have a stage presence, or was it? A- oh, oh no! They were pre- they looked like human beings, but they were pretending that they were robots. Is there any chance you were accidentally watching the Sticks Kilroy was here tour? <laughs> oh, I suppose that's also possible. I think we just figured out what happened. Everybody, take a drink for uh, from your Boston Red Sox. Tim Wakefield was oh. yikes. He was only fifty-seven. One of their top pitchers for a long time. I they, they had a yeah. long, long, crazy long career and was part of those World Series winning teams of the uh, early 2000s. Oh, wow. I didn't know about this one. Yeah. Uh, Tim was Ooh. a knuckleball pitcher. Yeah. As they say, he threw that crazy knuckleball, which would yeah, confound your batters and your catchers. <laughs> yeah. Those things are hard to catch. Uh, I don't think I saw Tim pitch because i did not go to very many red sox games in that era but i did see him play once i saw him play a guitar oh Uh, tim was also a guitarist on the side and i went to one of those charity concerts that they used to put on at fenway i yeah i remember that and they'd have like Kay hanley would be there you know letters to cleo yeah that's what you what you saw her there right yeah Kay was at this concert fountains of wayne was there oh wow yes good show but there were a couple of red sox were actually performing <laughs> i know uh, <laughs> bronson arroyo was actually uh, like playing some songs and tim wakefield was out there as well like strumming a guitar so i did see tim play sort of uh that is tim wakefield oh Bert Young was 83, and if you've seen any of the Rocky movies, you saw Bert Young, because Bert was Polly. Yeah. Yeah. Rocky's brother-in-law. We talked about Polly's robot on the show. Yeah, we? we did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Rocky IV, Polly had a robot. He had, had kind of had a, an odd, disturbing uh, <laughs> relationship with his lady robot. <laughs> okay. In Rocky IV. Yeah, I didn't make it to Rocky IV. <laughs> and that is forever how we will remember him. You missed the best one. I think other than Sylvester Stallone, Burt Young was the only actor, I believe, that was in all the Rocky movies. That was mm-hmm. all, the original five, plus that later one called Rocky Balboa. 
And yeah, funny guy, kind of a goofy character actor, just kind of looked like a big slob, you know, <laughs> that was his character. Uh, I also remember him from Back to School, the Rodney Dangerfield comedy. Oh. He was in that one as oh. well. Yeah, yeah, he pops up in a lot of stuff. He worked a lot. Burt Young. Uh, oh, take a drink for comic book creator Keith Giffen. Keith was 70. Uh, I definitely met Keith Giffen, I think, in New York City. I think it was at a New York Comic Con a long time ago. Keith uh, started as an artist, uh, drawing a lot of stuff for Marvel, and then DC uh, really became popular, drawing the Legion of Superheroes at DC. Uh, and then the mid-'80s uh, reboot of Justice League. He was one of the uh, creators behind that when they kind of made it sillier. That was like the era with Blue Beetle and Booster Gold, and they kind of made, oh. made the team kind of wacky and fun. Keith Giffen <laughs> was part of that. He did a lot of very offbeat, odd, often funny comic books. And uh, among his creations, he was a co-creator of Lobo, uh -huh. that kind of yes, big, crazy space dude. Uh, over at Marvel, he was the co-creator of Rocket Raccoon. Oh, nice. From your Guardians of the Galaxy. You know? yes. yes. Sure. Oh, he had a hand in the creation, I believe, of the Jaime Reyes version of the Blue Beetle. Oh, we watched about the first 20 minutes of the, the new Blue Beetle movie. The we other started day. the movie, yes, until I got too sleepy. Someday we'll go back and finish the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Someday. Going to need a lot of coffee. Uh, and one of my favorite characters at DC back in the 80s was Ambush Bug, which was just crazy. It was like a goofy strip that just kind of made fun of DC Comics. Ambush Bug, also a creation of Keith Giffen. <laughs> so he did a lot of interesting work. All right. And while we're drinking for Keith Giffen, let's keep drinking for Mark Goddard. Oh. This was a sad one. Mark Goddard. Well, I met him, too. We've all seen Mark Goddard, I think. And uh, and you've heard Mark Goddard on the Flopcast. He was nice enough to uh, record an ID for us a few years ago. He made a bumper for the show. Yes, he did. Mark was 87, a Massachusetts guy. Best known, of course, from Lost in Space, from the original Lost in Space. Here's Major Don West, who accompanied the Robinsons into space. Yes, he was kind of the he was the dashing hero, kind of romantically involved with the Marta Christens character. That's right. There was always a suggestion of a little uh, budding romance <laughs> between uh, Don West and Judy Robinson. Even from from the first episode, they were hinting at that. Uh, never really went anywhere, though. <laughs> never went beyond an occasional hand-holding. That's as hot and heavy as things got in space. Right. And, of course, uh, in, the, in the reboot, uh, Don West's character had a pet chicken. Yes, Debbie the Chicken. <laughs> yeah, Mark... Mark's certainly best known for Lost in Space. Uh, did a lot before that. Did a lot of westerns pre-Lost in Space and, and was bouncing around post-Lost in Space as well. I think we saw Mark on a Benson episode not long ago, and certainly was a uh, regular presence at the conventions, meeting all the nerds. Yes. And, and especially because I believe he, he did move back to Massachusetts at some point, so he, he, he'd pop up at Massachusetts shows quite a bit. Uh, he was a character. So fun. He was definitely kind of a goofball. <laughs> and, and I think even back then, like Bill Moomy has written about hanging out with Mark. Like Bill Moomy was, was a kid, but they both acted like kids when they yeah. were together. Like they, they'd run around <laughs> getting in trouble all over the, uh, the lot when they were shooting a uh, space back then. Oh yeah. They would just, you know, commandeer a golf cart and just go driving off and getting in trouble. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of afternoon. Sure. So yeah, at this point from Lost in Space, you know, the, the kids are still alive. The Robinson kids <laughs> are still with us. And uh, June Lockhart Wow. I looked up June. June is, God love her. June is 98 <laughs> and <Yep. laughs> hanging in there. Amazing. So, uh, yeah, we do uh, want to remember Mark. Phyllis Coates was 96 and uh, one of the first uh, actors to play Lois Lane. Uh, not the very first, but she was certainly among the first. And she was a uh, season one Lois Lane on the 1950s TV series. So Noel Neal had played Lois in, in a couple of the, the serials, and then Phyllis took the role for the TV series, but then it went back to uh, Noel Neal after the first season. But So Phyllis was in there for a while <laughs> anyway, and I didn't realize she was still alive <laughs> until the news broke this past year. And she came back as Lois's mom in Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Yeah, she did a cameo on... Uh, 
Lois and Clark. That's right. Just as Noel Neal did in uh, the Chris Reeve movie. That's Phyllis. Piper Laurie was 91. Twin Peaks. Probably best known from Twin Peaks to the likes of us. Yeah. I think the mayor was the biggest Twin Peaks fan around here. Piper Laurie was the only other thing I know her from offhand is she in, in Return to Oz, she was Aunt M. That's right. I know that was another big credit for you. Was that freaky <laughs> Return to Oz movie. <laughs> I could not believe how crazy that was. It was pretty crazy. So, yeah, she found herself in some uh, strange projects over the years. Piper Laurie. Oh, man, Suzanne Summers was 76. Wow, yeah. Oaks lady for the thigh master, but better known <laughs> for threes. At least I hope better known for threes company and step by step. Oh, I forgot all about the thigh master. That's right. How could you forget about the thigh master? Yeah, I'm afraid that the, that. That's always uh, going to be embedded in my, my memory. Um, American Graffiti, before any of that. I mean, we, we talked about Cindy Williams last yeah. week, but also in American Graffiti was Suzanne Summers, uh, just barely. Oh, I forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, you just catch a fleeting glimpse of her. She's referred to as Blonde in T-Bird. <laughs> but... <laughs> well, yeah, the, the female roles weren't real big in that movie. Plays an important part in the movie, though. Like, that's the girl, like like uh-huh. Richard Dreyfus, I believe. I think it was his character, like, just catches a quick glimpse of this beautiful oh. girl oh. in a car and then spends the rest of the movie yeah. hoping to see her again. Mm. But that was Suzanne Summers, and she got a lot of attention out of just that tiny part. And yeah, of course, uh, Chrissy Snow. The first of the blondes on Three's Company. Yeah. And yes. they actually made two pilots with two different women playing Chrissy Snow before they got around to Suzanne. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they made the pilot three times. Because <laughs> we, we talked about this on when I was doing all those Electra Woman podcasts, because uh, one of the other... Chrissy's from the pilots uh, had a little part in a couple of Elector Woman and Dyna Girl episodes. Oh. That's when I learned the truth. Yes. I thought you were going to say it was Marky Post because she did that weird Electro Woman and Dyna Girl thing. Right, right. But then, of course, superstardom on Three's Company. Yes. To got too big for the show. Yeah, well, they, there was a fight over yes. salary. She wanted to get paid more, and, and negotiations broke down, and she was off the show. And then, of course, they moved on to uh, Jenna Lee Harrison, and then and then Priscilla Barnes. They kept cycling through different blonde ladies. But Suzanne did... Oh, she's the sheriff after <laughs> that. That's one of my go-to just examples of ridiculous... <laughs> syndicated sitcoms of the late 80s of which there were many yeah. <laughs> but she's the sheriff <laughs> was Suzanne's show I think you can figure out what the wacky premise was just based Ooh, on that title maybe uh, Pat Carroll was on she's the sheriff Pat Carroll from uh, she was Ursula in Little Mermaid Oh. oh, and Hawkman's mother in Legends of the Superheroes. Oh yes, yep, yep. yes, she was on. She's the sheriff. Uh, Leonard Lightfoot was also there. That was uh, he was uh, Silver Spoons season one. That dude. So, all star cast on She's the Sheriff. But then yeah, uh, Step by Step after that would have been her other big sitcom, which I don't think I ever saw. Yeah, I don't think I ever saw that either. Oh, I watched that religiously on Friday nights. Yeah, that was more your your sitcom era. That was uh, with with Patrick Duffy. Yes, the man from Atlantis. Indeed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so certainly spent many, many years entertaining the people on TV and taking care of our thighs, Suzanne <laughs> Summers. Uh, Richard Roundtree was 81, and I thought we better include him because it's Shaft. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen the Shaft movies. But everybody knows the song. Oh, great song. <laughs> I've seen a handful of those old, you know, the seventies, the black exploitation movies, a lot of the, yeah. the Pam Greer movies. I've seen many of, yeah. but I never saw the Shaft movies. But there he is, Richard Roundtree. Here's another Richard uh, from a bit more uh, from our era. Richard Mole was eighty. Oh, yeah. Oh, from Night Court. Bull. Yeah. Bailiff Bull Shannon. <laughs> but more importantly to me. Oh, I know where you're going now. Here we go. <laughs> Do it. He was in Combat Academy. No. He was the best thing about Combat oh. Academy. He was off the rails in Combat Academy. Silly made-for-TV comedy movie that uh, Cornflake is strangely obsessed with. Yes, he was part of that all-star cast. 
another big credit uh, for our purposes. Going back to Batman, the animated series, Richard Mole was the voice of Two-Face. Oh, I didn't know that. I remember that. And also, when I looked him up today, uh, the reason he had his head shaved when they were getting ready to do Night Court was he had shaved his head for a different part. And it's a movie that I don't think I saw, but I remember seeing ads for this goofy science fiction movie called Metal Storm, The Destruction of Jared Sin. And evidently, Metal Storm is the reason Richard Mall was bald. Oh. Was he Jared Sin? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> I have no recollection of this. I remember the subtitle, but not the... I, I remember the destruction of Jared Sin for some reason. <laughs> well, it sounds like we have a little... Uh, Catching up to do? Very important film watching to get yeah. to. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that is Richard Mull. Very, very funny on Night Court, of course. Matthew Perry was 54. Yeah, that was... A- big blow to everyone. Sad one. That was a shocker, yeah. Again, I heard people say how kind he was. Yeah, but seemed like a, like a good guy and it had some addiction struggles, which he was vo- yeah. vocal about. He gave us ten seasons of Friends. <laughs> yeah, and and was very funny on Friends, and it was really the funniest character. That Chandler, absolutely. He gave Chandler a lot of the best lines. I kind of drifted away from Friends eventually, but the first couple of seasons I was in on, and uh, he was very good. And uh, he was on, the other thing I saw him on was Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Was he on the West Wing briefly, too? A little bit, yeah, yeah. A small part on the West Wing, which I th- was probably why he got on Studio 60. He had yeah, a relationship with Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin. That, uh, Studio 60 was Aaron Sorkin's attempt at a behind-the-scenes of a Saturday Night Live-type show drama series (laughs) at the same time as 30 rock right 30 rock started at the same time yeah Yeah. everybody assumed studio 60 that well there here's your big (laughs) show that's going to run a long time and then it just crashed it did not it was not great (laughs) yeah stellar cast the cast was excellent yeah it was matthew perry uh, brad whitford amanda pete uh steven weber yeah from wings like they were all like the executives on it and they were miserable mm-hmm. it was like all the stars of the show were just these sad miserable people and it's like shouldn't this be fun please <laughs> yes, sarah sarah paulson was on that too i think that was the first thing yes I saw her on the cast was great the cast were the likable characters yes and then like the executives that they focused on were just miserable not the fault of the actors. Matthew Perry was very good on it, but the show was kind of doomed. <laughs> and, and in his teenage years, he, he was a, an actor kicking around as well, because you'll see him pop up on like reruns of Silver Spoons. And, oh, cool. Yeah, Growing Pains. Like He'd do some guest appearances like that. A lot of stuff like that, pre-Friends. But Friends, I guess that's the big one. Even the, today, I think the kids still watch Friends. It's like a big hit online streaming. People still watch it. So I uh, did quite a bit, and yeah, uh, by all accounts, uh, a good guy, Matthew Perry. Uh, Bobby Knight was 83, a uh, basketball coach, legendary college basketball coach uh, from Indiana, Bobby Knight. I only included him uh, just because, uh, as we're such Parks and Recreation fans, uh, he was yes. the inspiration for the uh, band who performed on Parks and Recreation, Bobby Knight Ranger. <laughs> ah! Sandy Farina was 68. She was in the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band movie. Oh, I haven't thought about that movie in a while. She played Strawberry Fields, Uh (laughs) sang several songs in the movie. I've never seen that movie. That is a shockingly bad movie. Yeah. (laughs) And not even like so bad it's funny, it's just bad. Yeah, on Hit Parade podcast, Chris Malamphy said that it it seemed to have been written by a pile of cocaine. Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. <laughs> How Chris described the movie. Anyway, Sandy Farina was not a huge star, but was in uh, in the Sgt. Pepper movie and did a lot of uh, singing, a lot of background singing. But I wanted to include her because she was also the co-lead singer of Hands Across America. Oh. Oh. Yep. You know how important that is to us. I am strangely obsessed with... <laughs> One of the most ridiculous things that happened in the <laughs> 80s, Hands Across America. I love that song because I love a goofy 80s charity song. That was Sandy Farina. Uh, oh, Cornflake, here's one of yours from Cool in the Gang, George Funky Brown. Co-founding member who actually did not retire from Cool in the Gang until earlier in 2023. So he gave 
like 60 years of his life to Cool and the Gang after co-founding the band. He was their drummer, and he also wrote some of the biggest Cool and the Gang hits there ever were. Ladies Night, Jungle Boogie, Get Down on It, Too Hot, and most notably, I would say, he wrote Celebration. Wow. Wow, that's all like right. all the Cool and the Gang songs I know. <laughs> oh, you know a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's one of those bands where you know way more of their songs than you think you yeah. do. Yeah. Yes. And man, I think Cool and the Gang should be in the Hall of Fame. That's yes. a horrifying oversight, I think. So yeah, good good call to include George Funky Brown. Uh, still staying in the world of uh, 80s pop music, Mars Williams was 68 saxophone player in a couple of bands which made him i thought important enough to include mars was the saxophone player for the waitresses oh and then post waitresses for psychedelic furs yep yeah that's a significant figure oh a lot of big saxophone parts in yeah <laughs> both of those bands yeah and that was mars williams christmas rapping yeah it was him doing the, the horn. right at the end yeah that saxophone is wailing <laughs> Of course. Uh, oh, here we go. Take a drink. Take a big drink. Here Let's, we like, go. Chug down the rest of your uh, peppermint moonshine. Uh, I don't promise I'll be intelligible after this. <laughs> for Marty Croft was 86. You met him just in time. We met Marty Croft this year at DragonCon. Yes. Oh, that's strong. <laughs> Cornflake's about to hit the floor. So I'll, I'll try to get out some Marty Croft talk. Well, yeah, it's got to be, you know, she's got to be in the right mood for the psychedelic uh, Croft stuff. That's right. Yeah. The rest of the show is going to seem like a Bugaloo's episode. <laughs> yeah. Where's Martha Ray? <laughs> Marty was 86, and he's the young one, because uh, Sid Croft was uh, his big brother. Sid is 94. And still kicking. Sid is still out there. <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, born in Canada, and then they uh, uh, lived in Providence, Rhode Island, for a bit when they were uh, very young. And then uh, were all over the place after that as very young puppeteers. <laughs> and uh, moved into TV, of course, and uh, the, the legend uh, grows from there. Banana Splits, and then to their own Croft shows, starting with Puffin Stuff and everything else after that. And everybody, I think, listening knows the list, because we talk about Croft Stuff <laughs> all the time around A here. A lot. Marty was like the business guy of the team. He was the guy that could meet with networks, meet with TV people, make the deals, get the money, uh, whereas Sid was really the, the creative. They were both creative, yeah. of course. They're both puppeteers. Sid was the idea, man. <laughs> Sid was the dreamer. Wait, a, a bit too much of an idea, man. Yeah. <laughs> Sid, Sid has ideas like nobody else ever had ideas. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. That was the partnership, though. Marty was the one that would have to bring Sid back down to earth and figure out, okay, how are we going to actually do this? How do you actually make a, a land of living hats with uh, Charles Nelson Riley? <laughs> and why? <laughs> and why? What are we thinking? Why would we possibly want to do that? <laughs> but yikes, I'm glad they did. Yeah, what a treat to get Marty at DragonCon this year. I'd never seen either of the Crofts in person before. Yeah, it was really, I really enjoyed like, hearing about his life and how he got his start. Yeah, we, we both got to see him uh, speak. He did several talks q and a's over the course of the weekend puffin stuff hr puffin stuff was there with him yes <laughs> which was very exciting they were in the parade together they were they were very busy uh, a little too busy i think they were working marty mm -hmm. <laughs> he was on a very aggressive schedule at dragon con all weekend and uh, i did get to meet him briefly kevin cafferty and i uh, both went to to meet marty and it was very quick it was just kind of hello you know yeah <laughs> Hi, thanks take a picture <laughs> but you know what an opportunity to to meet a legend like that and certainly mm -hmm. uh, for our purposes this is the kind of stuff that we obsess over here on the flopcast that is one of the key figures in uh, all that we obsess over, over <laughs> yes <here. laughs> and uh yeah so glad we got to meet him marty croft francis sternhagen was 93 and a longtime actress a lot of stage work a million movies and such over the years she gets on our list because of cheers this was cliff clavin's mother 
She was in several episodes. She was very okay. funny, very appropriate. Just what you'd think Cliff's mother would be like. <laughs> That's ah. what she was. <laughs> that was Frances Sternhagen. Shane McGowan was mm. 65 from the from Pogues. From the Pogues. That's not very old. For Shane McGowan, it seems pretty old. <laughs> like, I thought, I seriously, I thought he was dead. <laughs> he spent all those Christmas evenings in the drunk tank. Yes. <laughs> That'll age you. When the news of his death broke, I was like, what? Shane McGowan was alive? I really, still alive. I really didn't know. <laughs> so that's on me. But what a character. What a voice. Yeah, Fairy Tale of New York is the one that's going to live forever. But... You can go back to There Are Other Pogues songs, and uh, you should go back and check out mm-hmm. some of his other work, because it's that voice. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah there he is. <laughs> and a lot of it sounds very, very Irish. Yep. It gets into kind of punk stuff, but also yeah. sort of traditional Irish. Interesting stuff. They were a very special band. And yeah, what a character. Shane McGowan. Uh, Andrea Faye Friedman was 53. Cornflake, tell us about Andrea, please. From a show that I never missed in the 90s on Sunday nights, Life Goes On. Andrea Faye Friedman played Amanda Swanson. She had Down Syndrome, just like Chris Burke, who played Corky. They got married on the show the way that they did it. They, um... I know it's not spoilers at this point. If you've seen it, you've seen it. Uh, they eloped and totally shocked their families. But just the way that they had representation in the show was was really special. She used her fame to really educate the world about people with Down syndrome and, and show uh, that they were deep in, and complex individuals, too. She was really great. All right, nice. That's uh, Andrea. Thank you, Cornflake. We covered Al Jaffe last week, who was mm-hmm. 102. Al is still the oldest person on our list for the year, I believe. But coming in <laughs> just behind Al, Norman Lear was 101. Wow, yeah. I had no idea he was that old. Actually, I didn't know he was still alive. <laughs> I knew he was alive. And yeah, it's hard to believe he was that old because he was right up to the end, very sharp and very active. And I'd see him on TV. I'd see him doing yeah. interviews. And yeah. he was still funny and, and sharp. And just he was so influential. Oh, those key, the, the run that he was on in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. You know, all the family, the all the spinoffs from all yeah. the family, Maud and the Jeffersons, of course, and then you got Sanford and Son, and One Day at a Time. After that, so much, and those those were such important, influential, groundbreaking sitcoms. Yeah, every every one of them, and hilarious at the same time. Yeah, also sitcoms yeah. while taking on these real big hot button issues. I mean, that was my Sunday night when I was a kid, like early eighties <laughs> CBS. Sunday night, uh, Norman Lear was responsible for three out of the four shows that I was locked in on that night because it would be Archie Bunker's Place, you know, which was the, the sequel series to All in the Family. But it was Archie Bunker's Place, then One Day at a Time, then Alice, which was not a Norman Lear show, mm. and then Jefferson's. That was my big Sunday night every week. That's quite a lineup. And then One Day at a Time, they did the reboot of just a few years ago. Yeah, he was in, and he was involved yes. with that as well. So he's still, like you said, still really sharp. So had quite a legacy. Amazing career. And uh, yeah, great, great shows from Norman Lear. Ian Gibson was 77. Uh, Ian it was a uh, British comic book artist. And I, saw, I read a lot of his work in the 80s. One of those Judge Dredd guys, you know, he was part of the, the mm. 2000 AD comic book scene of England back in the 80s. Yeah. So he, he drew some Judge Dredd. He drew Robo Hunter, which I also read some of. That was a that was about a guy hunting robots, believe it or not. Oh, oh really? <laughs> His big credit for me was he did a story with Alan Moore called The Ballad of Halo Jones. And it was like a long, multi-part, serialized comic book story about this young woman that goes into outer space on this kind of wild adventure. And it's really, really special, really cool series. And he, he had a very kind of wild, quirky drawing style. And uh, yeah, Halo Jones, one of the Alan Moore series that I don't think has been 
adapted. Yeah, Halo Jones is one, yeah one of the Alan Moore stories that they have not gotten around to making a bad TV show or movie out of. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right, which is probably for the best. Uh, oh, here's one for us. Uh, I, I probably should have warned you in case you hadn't heard, but from Schoolhouse Rock, Estra Mohawk. Oh, oh, was. 75, this is the woman who sang some of the key schoolhouse rock songs, Suffering Till Suffrage. Yes, that's mm-hmm. that's the big one. Interjections, and had one part in uh, Mother Necessity also, the, the Orville, and oh, Will- yeah. <laughs> Orville and Wilbur Wright sequence in Mother Necessity. Yeah, I love that part. So Estra Mohawk, this is the woman with, with that thick, amazing, wonderful voice who could just belt out those amazing songs. Yes, yeah. Suffering Till Suffering is amazing. I, I love, yeah, Mother Necessity, that's my favorite part of it, too. Oh, of course. Yell at Wilburn or I'll get outside this minute. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she was a uh, singer and songwriter who, who did quite a bit. You know, very busy, worked with a lot of people in the 60s and 70s, worked with Frank Zappa for a while, put out her own records. She wrote Change of Heart which was a hit for Cindy Lauper many years later. She wrote that. Oh, yeah. She wrote that. Yeah. That's a great song. Wow. I had no idea. But yeah, Schoolhouse Rock, of course, it was such an amazing team of people. And you know, right down to the singers uh, were incredible. And Estra, absolutely one of the best. And that's in a field with, you know, Jack Sheldon and Bob Duro. Yeah. And that whole team was remarkable. Certainly not many of those people left. No. But uh, Estra made a very important contribution to Schoolhouse Rock, which is one of the most wonderful things that ever happened. I learned today, reading about her, her name, Estra... E-S-S-R-A. That was kind of a nickname that grew out of her. Her real name was Sandra. Oh. And it kind of shortened it as an S for Sandra. And they made that uh-huh. S oh. as an Esra. And it kind of grew into be E-S-S-R-A. Esra. Interesting. Yeah. Neat. Isn't that weird? But she got a pretty cool name out of it <laughs> and was a, a pretty cool lady. Esra Mohawk. Uh, almost done, kids. Tommy Smothers. Oh, right at the end. It was 86. There goes my hero. Can we <laughs> take a drink for somebody that I did not see in person, but my grandparents did? Oh, yeah. Sure. Your grandparents saw Tommy Smothers? The Smothers Brothers uh, at uh, Boston Pops back in the 80s. Oh, cool. I get to see the program from it. I would have loved to have gone. <laughs> <laughs> and we watched him... In a Christmas special, as we often do. That's number one credit for Tommy Smothers for me is it begins and ends with the bear who slept through Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Early 70s Christmas cartoon. Yeah, we watch that thing every year. And yes, starring Tommy Smothers as the voice of Ted E. Bear. Well, to me, he will always be the yo-yo man. One of the <laughs> first VHS tapes I actually, maybe the first VHS tape I ever owned was a 30 minute instruction video with Tom Smothers doing the yo-yo man and doing all the tricks. Yeah, he was an expert yo-yo uh, operator. I did not know that. <laughs> My hero of yo-yo. He had that, and that piano music would play as he would get into his state of yo and he'd do all the yo-yo tricks. <laughs> I mean, Smother Brothers, we were pretty late to the game on Smothers Brothers, uh, people of our generation, because they seemed kind of quaint and corny. Like, they would just, they'd pop up on various talk shows or variety shows or whatever. It's okay, there's the Smothers Brothers. That's cute. And I remember when they came back later in the 80s with the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, and I remember how sad I was. When it went off the air. But it's when you look back and you have to learn how those guys were revolutionary and those guys yeah. were yeah. rabble rousers <laughs> of the Vietnam War era, <laughs> where the, their TV show, which people like Steve Martin was working on their TV show, you know, they had this amazing young cast of uh, performers and writers who were doing this kind of outrageous, uh, daring work at the time. And they got in a lot of trouble over it, but they stuck to their convictions as well. Yeah, there was a documentary about them called Smothered that had to do <laughs> with their their clashes with the networks sure. about the content of their show. Oh, I would like to check that out. Yeah, it's really good. Of all of the comedic influences I've had, Tom Smothers is the comedian I most wanted to be like, always. Aww. So this this one absolutely broke my heart, but he had a good run. He, what, he got to 86 years old. Sure. 
Well, that's a, a fine human to end the list on. Very important to us in the world of yo-yoing and uh, being a cartoon Christmas bear. <laughs> Very important. We do have, from a non-human category, though, I have one final name on the list. And we better Uh-oh. cue the chickens in the news bumper right now. And now, the Flopcast presents Chickens in the News. Thank you. Uh, This just came in at the end of the year. Uh, This came to my attention from our pal Jim, an original member of the Sponge Awareness Foundation, we should say. Yes. Even before it was a band. (laughs) (laughs) We're not sure what it was. Nobody knows what it was, but but Jim and I were both there. We can confirm it was something. (laughs) And when we were a band, Jim was also part of the Sponge Awareness as well. Jim came and uh, played saxophone with us a couple of times at uh, live Sponge Awareness shows. Anyway, I digress because uh, Jim made sure that I was aware of the fact that right at the end of the year, Peanut, the world's oldest chicken, (gasps) died at the age of 21. Wow. That's an old chicken. Old enough that I could have given Peanut a little bit of this peppermint moonshine. That's right. <laughs> Peanut was old enough to share a bottle of moonshine with Cornflake. Yes, Peanut was le- of legal age at 21. So this was in uh, Michigan. Uh-huh. Peanut died Christmas morning. Uh, Peanut was born in 2002. Whoa. That chicken has seen a lot. Was in the Guinness <laughs> World Record book as the world's oldest living chicken. Yeah, and I hope somebody snuggled that chicken last January 8th. <laughs> I'll bet that was a, a, a holiday that was observed every year in the peanut household. And I think that's the end of the list. We skipped so many names, there's just no time. But <laughs> I think we hit the ones that were most important for our purposes, at least. So nicely done. Yes. We've gotten through another year. Another year. Let's stop. Hey, maybe nobody will die this year. That'd be good. Maybe. <laughs> Save us a lot of time on next year's memorial show. For now, Cornflake, can you please wrap up this year's memorial show? I sure hope so. I'm going to give this a go. The, the letters on the screen are a bit blurry, but here we go. Find our show at flopcast.net. We also hang out at facebook.com slash flopcast. We're on Mastodon, specifically at universodon.com slash at flopcast. We're on Instagram. The underscore flopcast is our handle there. And head on over to Apple Podcasts, if you will. That's the place to be for writing us a rating and or a review. Music for the Flopcast is written and performed by the Sponge Awareness Foundation. So Estra Bohawk wrote Change of Heart, which uh, Cindy Lauper had the big hit with. Sponge Awareness, we wrote all the other hit Cindy Lauper songs, <laughs> including Goonies Are Good Enough. That's true. All right. Well, now we know your true colors. <laughs> Please, nobody look that up. All right. Uh, that's the end of our memorial show. Mayor of Chickentown, thanks for joining us to provide expert commentary once again. Yes, thank you. It was a pleasure. Cornflake, welcome back. Good to have you back on board as we enter a bold, new, horrifying year of flopcasting. <laughs> Thank you. Everybody, thanks for uh, getting through the memorial shows with us. Uh, We will do this again uh, in about a year, I suppose. But meanwhile, please be safe, be kind, be silly, and we'll see you next week. Peace and cookies. Bye. All right, monkeying around, start talking. About your podcast. We talk about an Emmy-winning comedy series. We talk about a band who outdoed the Beatles and the Stones in 1967. Still sticking to that story, huh? Well, if you know what's good for you, you'll change your tune. We talk about a groundbreaking multimedia project. That inspired generations of artists and fans. All right, throw the book at them. This book is overdue. Monkeying around, a podcast about the monkeys. Okay, this is the secret after show. This is we're in trouble right now because this is a long show and we're about to do uh, a long after show. So this is we we saved this. We waited for you, Cornflake, because I know your favorite after show of the year is the one where we read through <laughs> the list of every other after show that we did all year. Oh wow! Thank you. We waited. We didn't last week. We just didn't do anything. We just were muttering <laughs> incoherently for a couple of minutes. That was the after show. Yeah, yeah. We had to wait for Cornflake to uh, go through. So we're going to run through 
as quickly as possible <laughs> the subject of every secret after show from the year 2023. So let's go. Again, we can't make this too long or else people are going to find it. Right. And we don't want that. It's a secret. So going all the way back to the beginning of the year. Oh, New Year's Day 2023, Flopcast episode 556. Let's go from there. And it started with, it says, Cornflake adds Kirk Bailey to the memorial show list. I have no idea who Kirk Bailey is. Do you know who that is? I can't remember. Ah, that's funny. I've had a lot of peppermint moonshine. Okay, we added somebody to last year's memorial show. We no longer remember who in the world they were. Rest in peace, Kirk Bailey, whoever you are. Uh, let's move. Kevin and the mayor's Aresia schedules. Oh, we read through our Aresia schedule. By the way, this year's schedule, very simple. We're not going to Aresia. <laughs> <laughs> we're taking the year off from Aresia, so no schedule to report on this year. That'll keep things nice and simple. If you are going, I hope everybody has a great time there. Uh, you can contact Ronnie Millsap by Ham Radio. That's right. <laughs> that I remember. Just a helpful hint for the people. Matthew Wilder, Duck and Pig Antics. That's what it says. Okay. That's the nobody going to break my stride guy. Apparently he's yep. working with ducks and pigs. Yeah. Uh, the new book, The Illustrated Al. Oh, yeah. The Weird Al comic book. Cornflake is going to look for a green comet. Did you find That's it? That's right. Did you find it? I don't remember. <laughs> I almost went off my driveway because I was looking up, but I wasn't looking where I was walking. Oh, I almost no. went right off the embankment. Mike's picks for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, that's Mike Faber. Mike Faber was a guest on the show that week. Weird Al's Crash Test Dummies parody. Oh, yeah. Headline news. I know that. Mm -hmm. uh, National Whatever Day could have been International Polar Bear Day. Apparently it was not, though. Ed McMahon would have been 100 this week. <laughs> the people were dying to know. We're covering the important headlines in the secret after show. Cornflake learns about the Duran Duran Splinter Group's Arcadia and Power Station. Yes, you had a lot to learn last year about Duran Duran. I was stunned. Oh. David O'Leary uh, from V66 liked Life on the V's post about last week's Flopcast V66 episode. Okay, I think that means that our friend Eric from the Life on the V movie must have posted something about our V66 Flopcast episode, and then it got a like on Instagram or whatever from uh, V66 VJ David O'Leary. That's exciting. Spuds McKenzie's real name. It, it doesn't say what his real name is. It just says that what we talked about was Spuds McKenzie's real name. We watched the opening of the sitcom The Pursuit of Happiness. Yes, we did. And a week later, Magic Johnson oh. was on the 1980 yes. sitcom The Pursuit of Happiness. Yes, he was. Uh, with Paul Provenza, as I recall. A shortbread clucking hen house. Oh, yeah. That's some crazy thing that you had, right? I remember that. I did. Yeah. I still have that. Max Weinberg's son joins Slipknot, not Slipnuts. <laughs> Very easy to get those two bands confused. They're both great bands. The top 10 TV shows of 1995. Post-it note paintings in New Hampshire hotel room, plus cornflake singing the New Hampshire song. Oh, that's from ah. We were together in a hotel room in New Hampshire last year. I remember that before one of my uh, races. I fed you fish and lots of cookies. Thank you. You sure did. The music in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. All right. It was all, really good. All, it was good. <laughs> Scotch tape push pin balloon trick. Ah, yes. yes. Oh, this one just says Sam Butler. Sam Butler was uh, Linda Lavin's character on Alice. She'd put on a mustache and she'd be Sam Butler. <laughs> Joe <laughs> recites the Give Me a Break theme lyrics. That's our friend Joe Crow, special guest on the show that week. In a haunting voice. Cornflake watches a butterfly hatch during the Flopcast recording. <laughs> yes. I didn't, I didn't time it to happen during the yeah, recording. It just did. The miracle of life breaking out in the middle of our stupid show. 1980 Tricks Rabbit Trivia. 1981. I guess we're in our 80 shows now. Yes. 1981 Root Beer Commercial with Roller Disco Patrick Swayze. That was so good. 1982 Brand Flakes Commercial from England. This is because you were finding all those commercials. You had so many. <laughs> yes. Some of them got kicked back to the uh, after show. We have not heard the Lamal song, 1983. But I turned you on to it. You did. Cornflakes saw Santa Claus on the beach. 
And his wife. There is a surprise guest in Single Drunk Female Season 2. Yes, there was. I remember who it was. Mm -hmm. Liquid Plumber, Three Guys Plumbing Commercial, and Three Guys Plumbing the Band. (laughs) Cornflake is getting dry cleaning discounts by answering trivia questions. (laughs) The mayor was on Earth Station 1 talking about the Barbie movie. Yay! How many species of bats are there? (laughs) I don't have the answer here. I just have the question. Too many. Kevin's costume for Dragon Con. Yes. Did I have a costume for Dragon Con? I don't even remember anymore. I had a couple of Barbie costumes, but... Oh, oh, Steve Trevor. Yes! For the Wonder Woman script reading, of course. See, I already forgot my my big Dragon Con costume. (laughs) Me too. Unsubstantiated Taco Month. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> Sci-fi Explosion Print Edition. Cornflake did the Dragon Con Hustle 5K. Yes, you did. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. We're in a hurricane in Maine to see Liz and Bob. Yes, that was uh, the mayor and I recorded the Flopcast from a uh, hotel room in Maine during a hurricane. Yes, we did. Potsy Panic Ribbons for the Pots community. Oh, I remember that. (laughs) A letter about dynamite bummers from Trish Pezderts. I remember that. Carmela Creeper's online profile. That's the new monster cereal girl, Carmela Creeper. Kevin tries a monster mash fruit snack candy. Yes, I did. It's still stuck in my teeth to this day. <laughs> we say hello to Cleo, Alexander, and Fletcher from Chicken Town. Those are uh, Kevin Cafferty's kids. Got a special secret after show hello. Playing with Halloween wind-up toys. <laughs> the upcoming Letters to Cleo show and Cambridge Chicken Run. Sponge Awareness Foundation reunion at a performance of Kinky Boots. Oh, yes. With Mikey playing the guitar. Cornflake found a train made of lights. <laughs> this one just says Spam Socks. Oh, yeah. Ed's. Ed Socks. Those were Ed's. That's right. Uh, laundromat trivia update. That's yours. Yep. Uh, Joe performs... Tw- oh, we had a couple of uh, Joe Crow monologues now. <laughs> we have Joe performs Twas the Night Before Christmas as wrestler Dusty Rhodes, <laughs> followed a week later by Joe performs uh, a story he wrote, I believe, called Turbo Teen Saves Christmas. Then we have, uh, finally from last week, the subject was, we're not reviewing all the 2023 secret after shows without Cornflake. Oh, thank you. I'm honored. But now Cornflake's back, and that's what we just did. Good night. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.